Well, let me get this out of the way first. I'm not used to hearing me yell at myself. This is going to be kind of weird right here. Um, how, many, how many 49ers fans are here this morning? No, you can raise your hand in embarrassment. I mean, and, and be proud. How many Ravens fans? I, I, I wore my Ravens colors just for this morning. And quite honestly, not because I'm that big a Ravens fan, because I'm really not. I just can't stand the 49ers. There's some bitterness issues. I know that's, that's a form of ungodliness, but in this case, I think it's righteous anger. I mean, I'm going back about a year to a minute and 37 seconds left in the game, and, and we're going on, baby. And then all of a sudden, we ain't going nowhere but home. So I still haven't gotten over that. Go Ravens. <laughs> uh, we, we've had a couple of things. Oh, let, me, let me mention to the men, please, men, uh, Friday morning is our monthly time to gather for prayer as men. And I think uh, in, in the, the spirit of the call to arms, I, I trust and hope and pray men are sensing the unique season that God has afforded us. God has afforded us. But no one think that you own the franchise on when you will kickstart and do your thing for God and it will take off. There's not a man on the planet who owns that. God alone owns that. And so God's doing something, the best thing you could do is get on board with what God is doing because you don't have the ability to get God going. God gets going and we get to be a part of that. So men, can I ask you to to find a way to come join with us for prayer on Friday morning here at 6.30 to 7.30 I believe God is is honoring those times of prayer together. Well, this morning, before we we talk about this group of folks who are headed on a mission, and the obvious difficulty of this is that they are headed on a mission that takes them out of this context. Uh, And in God's sovereign purpose, I had started to... I'm keeping us in the book of Acts, otherwise we're never going to get through the book of Acts, so... Every chance I get, I'll preach from Acts. But I'd started to preach about the dispersion from Jerusalem. Because, you know, sometimes that's, that's the setting of what God's doing. God has begun something, and then he disperses that something. And shortly after we get past where we've been in Acts chapter 6, the uh, gospel will be preached through Stephen, and then the church will be greatly dispersed in Jer- through, from Jerusalem into other locations. God does that. God disperses folks. And in the last two years, we have, we have had, you know, listening to Tori and not liking any of this. I don't like any of this today. Can I just say that right off the bat? Um, but God has sovereignly chosen to disperse folks who have been part of this church for many, many years. Uh, I think we've glanced at some of the numbers over the last two years, not representing this group, but we've over 100-plus folks have moved out of New Orleans from just us in the last year and two years. So we know something about dispersing and folks being sent elsewhere because God's doing things in their lives that requires them to be in other addresses and other locations for that purpose. Uh, Can I just ask you to try and remember, folks, these guys, we have the blessing of them being very close, but some people have been here for years, and and they're just not here because God has relocated them. 
weekend. I had a conversation with Ann Elks this past week. Um, can you guys remember to call Ann Elks? You know, I, I know everybody here loves folks who have had, had to leave for whatever reasons. And our lives are so busy. And it's not that we don't love folks. It's just hard to do all that we're doing locally and try and remember the folks that we don't see on a regular basis. Uh, but for folks who have gone, this is their family. And they need to hear from us. So can, can you guys remember that? Can, can Ann Elks be overwhelmed this week by folks just calling and leaving a message and connecting with her and saying, Ann, we're thinking of you. How are you? And just give her a chance to share with you what's going on in her life. Uh, and and there would be others. I'm just mentioning Ann because I, I just felt her heart of need. Quick update on finances for Christ Community Church. Uh, we are at about $104,000 raised. Uh, that puts us more than halfway there for what the church needs. We anticipate in the first year somewhere in the $150,000, $160,000 range, and we're trying to update that as we get more and more educated. Uh, but that's what we're aiming at. So, so please continue to pray, uh, continue to seek how the Lord would have you to be involved, extending your faith and your finances into what God is doing uh, on the North Shore with these Dear folks, um, all right, I'm preaching to you guys this morning, and I'm, I'm not going to do what Jeff did last week. I'm, I'm not going to begin with tears. I'm going to try and save tears for the end, okay? I'm going to try. I can't guarantee and promise anything, but I titled the message this morning, Giving and Receiving the Mission of the Church, Lessons for a Pastor and the flock. Church planting in our series of, of the new normal, church planting is normal. Church planting is not an unusual thing in Scripture. It's, it's normal, right? Here's the program that you and I were invited to be a part of and to pay careful attention to it as it moved along. Jesus gathers disciples. He reveals himself and who he is to them over the period of his time of ministry upon the earth. And then his departure, he gives them marching orders, mobilization orders. And so what he tells them to do in Matthew 28 is to go, therefore. Go and make disciples of all nations. Go from where you've been and and find as the course of your life the making of disciples. He picks that up again as we begin Acts, Acts chapter 1. And you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And, you know, isn't it amazing that really in that statement, the North Shore was included? It's just true. The plan of God that was being spoken of included this activity right here today. This is the normal plan of God. And it it does involve going, it involves departing, and it involves churches being planted, right? Open up to Acts with me, Acts chapter 13, we'll just look at this for a second. We're going to be in Acts 20 in just a moment, where our text is today. But what began in Jerusalem is going to proceed to a city called Antioch. In Antioch, the church minding its own business, doing its local thing there, when we read in Acts chapter 
13, verse 1. Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who's called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a member of the court of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. You know, Antioch is a church like our church. It's, it's minding its business. It's doing its thing. And God is raising up people there to serve and care and lead for the church. Until the day the Holy Spirit steps in and says, okay, I'm, I'm doing something over here and over here and over here. Set apart these men who you have engrafted your lives to, Barnabas and Saul. These men who have... <clears throat> really laid the foundation work in Antioch and who have built their lives into your lives, set them apart. I'm going to remove them from this context. And they they go on and they begin to preach the gospel in locations where churches begin to get raised up. And if if you fast forward to Acts 14, turn the page to verse 21, Eventually, that activity of proclaiming the gospel raises up disciples, disciples who now need to be cared for, disciples who need to be protected and guarded and related to and strengthened through ministry of others in a church. Verse 21, when they had preached the gospel to that city and and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord whom they had believed. Now, here is the Great Commission. We hear the Great Commission and we hear this call to go and make disciples. And we understand that that means individuals are going to hear a message that's going to bring conversion into their life and they're going to become Christians. And then somehow we're involved in their lives, somehow. But when we watch this unfold, what what happens to, to make disciples is that churches are created. Paul and Barnabas had gone about preaching the gospel. People were getting saved, and those collections of people now needed elders to be appointed and care to be established in their lives. And so the Great Commission is a call to plant churches. This is is not unusual. This is not some exceptional activity that, oh my gosh, does it need to happen this way? Yes, this is exactly how it needs to happen. This is what the church is called to do. It's called to plant itself over and over and over again. Now, that, that message in the church culture probably really needed to be emphasized 10, 15 years ago. But today, church planting is in vogue. Church planting is the thing. There are churches being planted anywhere and everywhere that you go today. And that's probably, just observing it, that's probably a good thing and maybe not so good thing. Because whenever anything in this world becomes the thing, 
Whenever something becomes faddish, the culture is usually screaming out and touching it. And so there's all kinds of ideas that go into being a church plant and planting churches and being a church planter. There's books being written. There's ideas available. And by observation, uh, it's good that there's a vision for duplicating the ministry of churches into more and more and more lives. That's a good thing. That's biblical. But what's coming with these fads and trends is ideas about how do you do it? How do you do this? How do you step into a new location with a group of people and have an impact? What what are you going to be? How do you go about relating to people? What is your church going to feel like when people come into it? What kind of ideas? Well, here's what a typical church plant does, and this is a challenge because it is what a church plant should do. You're going to put your feet into the world of the North Shore. And you're going to say, we're here, we're here not just for us. We're here to bring the gospel. We're here to make disciples. We're here to reach those people who don't have any idea who Christ Community Church is. They don't have any idea what's valuable to us. They don't have any idea what we stand for. They don't have any idea what our lives have been affected by. They don't know any of that. And somehow we've got to build a bridge into their world so that that becomes accessible to them. And you do. And I know Jeff's wrestling through and other guys in the church are wrestling through. How do we do that? The real temptation is to migrate too far towards the group you're reaching out to and figure out how to live in their world without remembering you are in their world to bring another world to them. And so it's very challenging. And this is where the fads of church trends have, have, uh, and I don't say this critically, it's hard to do this. It's hard to do what you're about to do. It's a little bit of a challenge to figure out how do we, how do we get into their world? If, well, if you're too distant from their world, if you're too much about what you've always known and the language you've learned to speak as a Christian and what you understand of the deep doctrines of the truths of God, and you can't impart that to these folks, well, that's not a good recipe either. But if you live in their world to the diminishing of the things that have made your life spiritually what they are because it, they're a little too foreign and a little too radical for folks you have a whole different problem on your hands. And it is your problem. It's your problem, every one of you. So here's my question. I think I put it in your outline. So Christ Community Church, what are you seeking to build? What mantle are you trying to wear? Do you have a target in mind to aim at? Most definitely what I would not want you doing here is is feeling like you're along for the ride. You, You have a very unique role. Founding fathers, and we still talk about the founding fathers. There are documents about the early church where the the founding fathers of the church said and did things that people look back on as foundational. Our government today is based upon the ideas of some founding fathers. And for years and years and years and years, the government to move forward has looked back to those original ideas to say, where are we in relation to that? And you guys will chart a course. You will set the tone. You will create an atmosphere where people will live. You will relate to one another that explains to people 
What do you value? What's worth fighting over, dying over? What's worth disagreeing about? What hills do you want to die on? What example are you going to provide for people? You uniquely play that role. Whatever this church becomes 10 and 20 years from now, you are the seed beta out of which it's going to grow. And so it's a unique calling. You are playing a unique role in the life of a church. So I want you to think about, am I being intentional? What what am I aiming at? What values are in me? What has God awakened in me that I'm going to help to create and participate in for years and years to come? Well, I, I think we find some helpful values in Acts chapter 20. Turn there with me. Verse 17 Before we read these verses, Derek Thomas, commentator on this passage, says, and I think this is helpful, this is what drew me to this passage, Paul provides for us, as he did for the Ephesian elders, that's who the audience here is for this message, Paul's call to himself, the elders of Ephesus, he provides for us, as he did for the Ephesian elders, a pattern of godly, Christ-like ministry. We need to examine it carefully and frequently. It's a good passage to come back to. The matters addressed in this farewell speech. Perhaps it would repay us in ministry to read and study this section on a regular basis. And I want to encourage you, I guess the same way that we probably would encourage couples who come for premarital counseling. Couples that come for premarital counseling, and one of the first couples that I did premarital counseling is in this group, uh, Rick and Cherie. When couples come, there's this adventure in front of them. They're excited. They see more adventure than they see anything else. They don't necessarily, they're not majoring in, and I don't encourage couples that, hey, major in the misery, right? I mean, you, you guys need to make sure you're in touch with, this is going to be horrible sometimes, um, Nobody wants to counsel anybody like that. But at the same time, sometimes you feel like you're speaking to a couple that's being unrealistic and you can't get them to be realistic because they're just loving the idea of marriage. They love the concept. They read the brochure. It looks awesome. And all along the way, you meet with them and meet with them and meet with them. You try and tell them, look, what I'm telling you is real. Uh, What I'm telling you is real. This is really going to happen to you. I know, and we're so excited about it. Um, (laughs) So I guess my admonition for you this morning is please don't treat this like premarital counseling. Uh, anticipate that everything I'm about to share with you are going to be issues that you are going to have to deal with. And in that day, you're going to need to remember, oh, yeah, we were warned about that. We were prepared for that. The scriptures prepared us, and the last meeting we had at Lakeview was about preparing us for what it would mean to be this type of a ministry as a church. So let's read together. Acts 20, verse 17. It says, Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving 
the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this, we must help the weak. And remember the words of our Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Lord, thank you for your word preserved for the occasions of our lives where only your wisdom could impart life to us in the manner in which we truly need it. Lord, today we pray these words inspired by the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul's life would speak to us at Lakeview Christian Center. Most importantly, they would speak to Christ Community Church about this mission that they are going on together. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. All right, well, here are the the lessons. I'm going to make five points out of this. These lessons for pastor and for flock on giving and receiving the mission of the church, right? The mission of the church must be given, and, and Jeff plays a huge role in the giving of that mission. 
But the giving of the mission of the church must be received. And they're, and they're both about the same thing. So the information is a two-way street here. Number one, the giving and receiving of a conducive environment for the mission of the church. The giving and the receiving of a conducive environment. You guys are going to be gathering. Right? And, you know, part of the reason why we've got them segmented off from the rest of the church here is for the reality, the reality on their part, which, which they are, have been tasting, but the reality on our part that this is what this church will feel like for a while. You understand, this is what this church feels like. You come in here on a Sunday, you gather with people, there's connections and diversity and history and activity. That's what this church feels like. When they meet next week, this is what this church will feel like. They will come in and they will look around. And these will be the faces that they will see. They will look for help. They will look for input. And this will be the pool from which they draw. God will add people. New folks will walk in. And this is who will engage them. And you can't look for somebody else to do it. And God's not intending for you. And when they walk into this setting, what's the atmosphere going to be like? What's the environment going to contain? Not just, what's the word going to sound like when it's preached? What are the things that we put down on paper that we believe? What's our statement of faith? You understand, many, many churches have a statement of faith that looks just like the other church does. But you walk in one church and you walk in another church and it's a totally different experience, isn't it? You're going to create an environment that people are going to walk into. And they're going to experience life. Look at these words that are here in this passage and, and I, want us to, I want us to take them in because, it, interesting, when you plant something, it's the soil that matters the most, apparently. Apparently. I say that as a naive person who really doesn't know much about planting plants. Uh, I'm asked to do that. I'm, I'm okay with do that. I'm just sort of like dumb manual labor when it comes to that. And here's the, here's the great illustration of that. A number of years ago, a family tradition for us is every year we go blueberry picking. We love to take the whole family, go out into these fields where there's these blueberry bushes. Blueberry bushes are huge. They're bigger than this banner. They, they, they get like small trees. And so every year we go out in July and we, June or July, sweat and pick blueberries as a family. Um, you know, Seth kind of looks like our illegal immigrant when we do this. <laughs> We've got, we've got pictures of him picking blueberries. It looks like child labor laws are being broken here. That kid's in the country illegally, and you're making him pick blueberries. But we, we love to do it, and we thought one year, wouldn't it be great if we just, we just planted our own blueberries? We, just, we plant seven blueberry bushes. I think we did that, seven kids, seven blueberry bushes. And they'll grow up here, and we had this, we had this great thought, they're going to grow up in our backyard and we'll just walk out. We don't have to go. We'll just walk out and pick the ones that we need for all of the things that we do with blueberries. And the kids will pick them. And I don't know, honey, one day we'll have grandchildren. And they'll come. And the bushes will be big by then. And they'll come pick blueberries. And so, I, you know, I, we went out and bought blueberry bushes. 
you know, in a little couple of gallon container size. And so they were about this big. We, I dug holes all over strategically in the yard in certain places where that would look nice there. And we'll just have blueberries going on there. And I don't think it took but one year for every one of them to be completely dead. <laughs> I've, never seen, I've never seen something that was ever alive be so dead in a year. I mean, and then, I mean, within months after that, they didn't just die. They disintegrated. It's like I didn't even have to dig them up. You just walk back there and it's like, wasn't there a bush right here? I mean, it's just gone <laughs> completely. And I didn't pay attention to something. There's a reason, as far as I can understand, you horticulture people can help me with this. There, there's a reason why if you want to go pick blueberries, you've got to drive about 45 minutes to an hour north of here and then to the east. Because apparently there's something about the soil over there that makes blueberry bushes just thrive. And that's why you just don't find them anywhere else because they need a certain type of soil that I don't have in my backyard. So I planted these things there and they just proceeded to die as fast as possible. God's planting a church here. And then he's going to plant people in it. And the soil of who you become is rather important to whether or not this church plant grows. And in this passage, there are some very, very helpful words that create conducive soil conditions. Look in verse 18. Paul has gathered these men from Ephesus about 30 miles away from the port city where he has stopped over on his way to Jerusalem. He's gathered these men to encourage them and to remind them of the vision that God helped to impart through him. He was in Ephesus for about three years. So he knew these folks, and they knew him, and he could remind them about realities. In verse 18, so when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time, from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. Right Here's a a vocabulary lesson for you guys, words that I hope Never depart from daily observations from the time that you're together, that you are able to see these soil conditions in one another's lives, in in this pot right here into which God is going to plant people. You would have these concepts. Paul said this about himself, and this is an encouragement for Jeff and for all the future of those who would lead in this church. I lived among you. I lived connected to you. God's calling you guys to a sense of vital connection. The Apostle Paul obviously was near and dear to these folks. It was very hard for them not to have him around because their lives were interwoven together. And there's a, there's a sense that that's what God's calling Jeff to do in playing this role of being a leader to where one day he can turn back to you and say, I, I lived among you. I was, I was engaged in your lives. I walked and we shared life together and we related and cried and celebrated. And it meant something for us to be together. Listen, it, it needs to mean something for you to be together. It needs to mean something for you to not be together. 
I'll, t- I'll tell you guys this from a, from a pastor's standpoint. It is, it is a heartbreaking experience when you have walked together in the trenches of the Spirit, in the realities of the heartache of life, and a member of the family departs. It, it needs to be a departure that's over reasons that are worth departing over. Because this is, this is to be a family. That's what you're building together, a family that is connected it's a shame today we just can't say amen being a church because there's lots of churches who don't have any connection with each other. Lots of people who just gather and they barely know each other by name or by incidents of what's happening in life. That cannot be who you are. God's wanting to plant people into your life to where the among you aspect that you know something about that person. Paul could easily reference and say, you know me. I've been among you. You know what my life was like. You know the things that we talked about because I was connected to you. The aim of pastor and member is serving the Lord. Serving. That's that's an atmospheric word. Serving the Lord. You know how I was among you. Serving the Lord. Please don't overlook this word. We're so familiar with the word serving when it comes to the body of Christ. We use that word. But it's not as in vogue as it once was. Because we live in a service-oriented culture. We live bumping into people serving us over and over and over again. We, we begin to believe things exist to serve us. And we easily lose touch with, we are called to serve. And, you know, when you back this church away from this church and say serving you have a very limited number of folks to turn around. Well, somebody else is covering that. There's not a lot of others. Somebody else's. There's a lot of serving going on right here. And listen, I, I know this is the reality. Sunday morning can turn into this. Right? I mean, let's be honest. Especially for those who do things like children's ministry or take up regular responsibilities in a corporate setting. Your week has been busy all week long. You've got job responsibilities. You have a hectic pace. You've got kids getting to and from school. You've got needs that you're involved with. You're just maintaining your household and caring for your own children's needs every day of their life. And then the weekend comes, and you'd like a break. You'd like church to be a break from serving. You've been serving all week. And yet, one of the words that should describe the soil of a church plant is serving. We are here to serve, and, and, and you're going to have to just trust God that by faith, when you look at Jesus Christ's life, you are challenged to ever find a moment in his life where he's not serving someone else's need. You open the pages of the Gospels, and you try and find him not serving, not aiming at something, some agenda outside of himself. You, you, you are hard-pressed to find that. And so in reality, serving feels like it's going to kill us. But apparently in God's plan, it's life-giving. You're going to serve and you're going to receive life as a result of serving. So, so don't look to not serve. Look for ways to serve. Humility was in Paul's soil as he served the church. 
the aroma of pastor and member who walk in humility. Humility is such an opposite element of a culture that feels entitled. We're people who are taught every day that we deserve something. We deserve to be treated a certain way. People win awards, and on the rewards program, you hear him talk about how much he deserved that. He deserved, everything's about deserving. You're informed by theology. You really want to talk about what we deserve? Is that really a conversation that we want to have? I mean, are we in touch with what God has chosen to give to us that we do not deserve? We're just not in the deserving business. We're in the serving business. We're not in the greatness business. What a wonderful freeing thing it is for you not to have to try and worry about how to be great, how to be great in this church, how to be great in comparison to others. Now, see, there's only one that we're concerned about being great, and that's God. We're in the business of God being great. So, so what if I get overlooked? You know, it's a church plant. Get rid of some of all these other people to compete with around here. It's just a church plant. I'm, I'm going to be a mover and shaker in this setting. And two months from now, a year from now, you're overlooked. You're going to discover whose business of greatness are you in. I'm in the, in the category where I want to be great. I want to find a context where I can be great. Or are we okay with God being great and seeking for God to be great and having a heart to serve? I mean, God exalts the lowly. So that's the great thing is you can get out of the business of being great and then God will get into the business of making you great. That's an interesting thing, isn't it? You just need to make it your ambition that I'm, I'm here to serve. I'm here to applaud others because the work of God's going on in their life. I'm not here to compete with what is happening in that person's life as though God's not involved and that's just that dude mustering up his abilities and what about my abilities and what you think about what I can do versus what he... That's not why you're here. And you're not appreciating that God's at work in that person to be able to applaud. I'm applauding the work of God in that person. That's humility. Listen, where humility is high, conflict is low. You want to find a lot of place where there's a lot of conflict going on? It's because there is a battle taking place for greatness. And you're just not thinking I'm great enough. And we, we need to talk about that. <laughs> nobody comes that way, right? Nobody says, hey, I need to sit down and meet with you because we've had some issues. No, they, nobody comes and says, look, I need to sit down and talk to you because you don't think I'm great enough. <laughs> know, but that's what we're after. Because if you thought I was great, you wouldn't have spoke to me that way. If you gave me the respect I deserve because I am great, you would never have overlooked me like that. Isn't that what we're saying? You want to iron out conflict? Make sure humility is what's featured. Make sure the soil, make sure the people who come into this context, they smell serving and and humility in your exchange from the moment they arrive to the time they spend with you. Here's the reality of the experience in this passage for pastor and member. Tears and trials. That's what Paul said his life was like among the Ephesians. Our life was a life of tears and trials. 
one of the things I've resisted doing in this process is thinking too much about the departures of not just Jeff and Kathy, as hard as that is, but there's a lot of history in this gathering of people who have been in our lives through some serious tears and trials, and we have shared it together. Tears with Stu and Nancy and Todd and Brandy as Dr. Lunyong stood in Baptist Hospital telling me, you need to prepare this couple to lose this little boy. After Joel had been born. And the thought of losing that little boy. That was a great time of tears, wasn't it? It was a great time of rallying the people of God in prayer. And, and here Joel is sitting with us today. So different tears being shed now. Um, the tears of standing in the hospital with Eddie and Susie Casu when Kristen had had a horrible car accident. Nineteen years old? Oh, it was nineteen years old. And you show up knowing that Kristen's life, if she makes it, if she makes it, has been severely altered. And standing in the hallway and shedding tears. Part of that was because I was afraid of Eddie, but... uh, You gotta understand, Eddie wasn't saved yet, and so it's a little different moment to be in his presence than it is now. Jeff, you will you will shed tears. Um, I was hoping Pierre and Jennifer would be here. This, these are just stories from this group right here. You will shed tears when the phone rings, and it's Ken Ward. Jennifer Grimion's dad calling to tell me that Gabriel has been born with a very unique condition and he's trying to explain it to me, this nevus condition. I've never seen it. I've heard vaguely anything about it. It's not well known. And the concern in Ken's voice on that phone call, Ken is a medical malpractice attorney so he knows a little bit about the medical field and he's on the phone with me explaining Pierre and Jennifer have no idea what they're in for. And dozens of surgeries later, Gabriel, praise God, is with us, but it has not been an easy road for that family. Not all the tears are going to be those kind of tears. You will have the, the tears of joy of marrying couples and sharing life with them. So I said, Rick and Cherie, the, they came in for counseling. They were the first couple that I counseled as a pastor in 1993. 
it was a little bit of a challenge because uh, Rick, I remember Rick wearing his LSU hat, and Rick was Rick was open but a little clueless about the whole Christianity thing. So I had to explain to them, I'm not sure where our counseling's going here, but it may not end up in marriage. Let's just talk about God for a while. And then Rick ends up getting saved through the counseling process. They got married, and as they say, the rest is history. And that's 1993. You will, you will experience trials together, trials that create tears. Trials that the really hard ones are going to be the trials that you're going to be tempted to quit on. Please remember I'm telling you this. Because the trials that you're not tempted to quit on, uh, you're going to give yourself a good grade, and we, we stayed the course, we, we, we made it through. But you're going to have some trials that are not like that. You're going to have some trials where every angle of the trial tells you quit, quit. Don't take another step. It's too hard. It's too costly. It doesn't make sense. There are issues here. There are people involved. There's problems. Maybe there's hurt feelings and offenses in those trials. And and you are going to be in a place where you're tempted to walk away and sever ties and stop telling the story about a redemptive God who stepped into your world to do supernatural things in your life, to give you a love for one another that doesn't look like the cheap department store love you can buy at Walmart in this world. It's a love that's got to come from heaven. It's mind-blowing. It's hard. It's the the love that I share for Vic and Tracy. I guess you'd say we walked through a few trials through these years. I think we shed a few tears along the way. And, you know, one of the amazing things about walking together for 20-plus years is it's not always good times. It's not always easy. And we we hurt each other, and we disappoint each other, and we surprise each other. But what testifies about a supernatural God is that you walk through that, and I know some of you know what I'm speaking of, and I, I won't divulge issues, although they would be glad to talk to you about what God's done in their lives. But there will come days when it will be easier to part ways than it will to love one another in a radical, amazing, godlike way. You live in a world where that kind of love is not very valuable. Loyalty, it's almost non-existent. But to walk together through difficulties and to have as a bond of the people of God in good times and bad is a precious thing in the eyes of God. It's, it's as close to what you and I receive on a daily basis from God as it gets. God, who it would be much easier for him to walk away. We are a pain in the butt to deal with. And yet he stands in our lives and loves us in an amazing way. Listen, you're, you're taking that somewhere. 
remember that. You're taking it when it's not easy to love each other, when it would be more expedient to just part ways. Go start over. For goodness sake, there's only like another hundred churches over on the North Shore that I'm sure you can find a parking spot in one of them. But you have an opportunity to demonstrate to that community, to the world out there, what it looks like to have been loved by God in that kind of a covenant love way and then to love one another in that kind of a way. That's what makes this real to the world. So your days ahead will be tears and trials. You will write your own chapters of tears and trials in your lives. Eckhart Schnabel said, missionaries and pastors should be known for their commitment to people. Churches are made up of people whose commitment to the Lord takes precedence over plans, programs, strategies, and structures. Listen, when, when you guys depart from here, you are changing gears in the realm of plans and programs and structures. Right? This, is, this is what it's going to feel like next week. It's, it's not going to feel like this next week. It's not going to feel like this for quite a while. But people are committed to something besides what the building's like and where the meeting is and when the meeting is and how many people are at the meeting. They're committed to something else besides that. Otherwise, this, a church plant can never become anything because every church plant has to wrestle through its season where this is different, this feels different. Honey, it just doesn't feel like it used to feel. No, because it's not what it used to be. It's something new. It's something different. It's something that you are on the ground floor of building. Now, I I don't know how many there are here in the group today, but uh, I don't know who can remember back this far. Stu and Nancy can come close to remembering back this far. But there was a day when I first started attending this church where this was the church plus about 15, 20 more people. It was about 60 people that gathered at Lakeview Christian Center. And those 60 people, there's, there's still a number of them that are here and know something about building life together for a long time and serving in settings that don't change like that. And, it, and you know, it doesn't become this overnight. But it becomes this when you have a vision for what God wants this church to be and you build carefully and intentionally toward whatever God has in store for you guys. All right, let me move a little more quickly here. Let me, let me say this. This is a side note. Um, Some of you guys have asked questions about issues pertaining to Sovereign Grace Ministries and things that are going on in Sovereign Grace. It's been a difficult couple of years. There have been churches departing. There have been polity issues trying to be discussed and addressed and relationships amongst churches. There's been offenses and conflicts and issues that have been handled and mishandled. And there's misinformation out there where some of the times nobody even knows really what's happened in this arena. Um, can, can I just tell you that what we just discussed for this church is what informs us in terms of how we're relating to Sovereign Grace Ministries. I probably could say in some ways it would be easier to just do away with the difficulties of sorting through all these elements and just let's just go on 
Let's just be Lakeview Christian Center. Let's not try and figure out how to relate to people that we don't really know what was done, who did what, how do we relate to that. And, but something doesn't make that appealing to me, and I don't think to any of the other guys. And it's, it's in this type of love, this kind of love, this God doesn't give up on you kind of love, this working of God patiently to build people for himself with all of our issues and difficulties and sin. So if you're wondering, what are we doing with sovereign grace? Please, please don't do this. Don't draw the conclusion that we're just a bunch of naive knuckleheads that just, uh, they should have done something. Listen, every day that we relate, we're fighting for something, and I hope you feel that way too. You ought to be in a church fighting for something. You ought to be fighting for something that looks like what God is about, that's not easy. There's days when it's just not easy. And one of the conversations we've had as leaders is how can we as pastors stand in front of multiple couples that are in this church and when it's been bad and when it's been difficult and when there's been horrible sin and we look across the desk from you and we call upon you to love that person with a godly love that blows people's minds and for you to stay in that and work at it and give God opportunity, how can we possibly as pastors tell you to do that and then turn around to a bunch of other folks that we're not even quite sure all that's happened We even know where to label the sin issues exactly and say, we need to not do that. That's what we need to do as a church. We need to not do that. Now, I'm not saying the future is set and we've made long-term decisions, but in the same way that we tell you to fight for a marriage because it demonstrates the love of God, we we will fight for unity in the body of Christ where we have walked and we have served and we have built relationships. So... We're not in a hurry to move away from difficulties. And I hope you guys will never be in a hurry to move away from days of difficulty in your lives. Number two, the giving and receiving of the ministry of declaring God's word. Verse 20, Paul says, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, down in verse 26. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all of you, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. If, if there's anything, if there's anything that characterizes a church, it is this quality. It is the unrivaled proclamation and declaring of God's word. It is the bringing into this fallen world the perspective of what does God say about everything? What does he say about life? What does he say about our existence? The church exists, listen, not just to be family to one another, not just to care for needs, although that's a huge element of why you're a church. The church exists to declare the whole counsel of God. That can never ever drift from who you are. If you, if you depart from declaring the whole counsel of God, you have departed from being the church. Even if you got some great stuff going on, you guys love each other and everybody picnics and vacations and lives in each other's homes. But if you stop declaring the whole counsel of God as a church, then you have departed from being a church. You're something else now. Because this is the Apostle Paul rehearsing. This, these were the priorities while I was among you. 
declaring the whole counsel of God. And interestingly, here at the center, we learn something. Verse 20 and 21. He was declaring and teaching and testifying of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So here's the centerpiece of everything we've got to say. Now, we're talking about a bunch of issues in life, and I think Paul was talking about a bunch of things when he said the whole counsel of God. There's a lot in Scripture, covers a bunch of stuff. But here's the centerpiece of that. Repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 24, he said, The ministry I received is to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. This is your message. This is your mission. The communicating of this. It's not just gathering. It is gathering in order to communicate. It is gathering to have a living presence, an embodiment of what you're communicating. You can't lose this. Verse 28 says something very interesting. He talks about the assignment he's been given to care for the church, which he obtained with his own blood. All right, so here's my question to you guys. Why do you ultimately exist as a church on the North Shore? To bring people, to bring to people God's diagnosis of their greatest need, the gospel of the grace of God. Now be warned, in the, in the world of church planting, church planting puts its foot into the world and it begins to say, what do you guys want to hear? What, what would appeal to you for us to bring to you? And today, what's popular is things like social justice. It's very popular. I was at a meeting the other day where lots of folks talked about social care and social events and social activities. Listen, the world loves to hear man care for man. It loves those stories. It doesn't mind contributing to it. But the second you inject God into the equation, you have a totally different response on your hands. You guys are not just here. You are here to care for people and care for needs and step into the world that's broken and help. But the day you stop declaring these things, a message about repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, in this gospel of the grace of God, to build a church that was purchased by his blood. This is an interesting thought as you look through this. I I wonder, I'd spread this around to all of us. When you present the gospel, is it a bloody presentation? Think with me for a second. I hear lots of people talk about the gospel, talk about presenting the gospel. When you present the gospel, is there blood involved in your presentation of the gospel? See, there, there doesn't need to be any blood involved in a message that sounds like, hey, Does your life have bumps and bruises? Yeah. Well, I know somebody who can help you with your bumps and bruises. Hey, you know what? If you'll just pray with me right now, he'll help you with your bumps and bruises. Now, you know what? That's not wrong to do as an introductory connection. But at some point, the church is purchased by blood. It's a bloody ordeal. The gospel involves bloodshed. That sounds primitive and whatever, but it it needs to inform. What are you responding to? Well, my life hurts, and you're offering me a consultant. I'm for that. Bring on the consultant. He'll give me some advice, and maybe this group of people here who represent him will rally around me like the good hands people from Allstate, and they'll provide some insurance to help me with my life. And when the wheels come off and I can't pay my bills, this group here will help me, 
And when my, my house got burned, and you'll help me replace some things and rebuild some stuff, because some of you guys can, are good with hammers and drills. Uh, and all of that in the name of the God who's sort of trying to help me with my life. That's not ultimately what you're declaring. You're ultimately bringing the news that blood was shed. Blood was shed for you. The Son of God came because he had to shed his own perfect blood to restore you to God. And that's your ultimate need. Don't let people think that their ultimate need is some temporary feature of life that's not working. Their ultimate need is to be restored to God, and blood's got to be shed for that to ever happen. So quick encouragement here. May your pastor be able to say, I did not shrink back from proclaiming the whole counsel of God. Not just favorites, not just trends, not avoiding controversy or unpopular topics, but may Jeff be able to stand like Paul did years from now and say, I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. That's your responsibility to give. It is your responsibility to receive it. May the people be able to say, we did not shrink back from receiving and desiring the whole counsel of God. And I think this is an easy thing for me to encourage you guys in because you, you have been a part of a church that I can say from somebody standing in the pulpit pulls messages out of the pulpit. That's what it feels like to preach in this church. It feels like people who, who want to receive. We are open and we are eager and there's something that we know about the Bible that says we, we want you to take us into what we understand here and it's encouraged, and there's prayer, and folks give feedback. So that's the environment. But listen, you're going to add people into this environment where that's not their background. And you will teach them that. You will teach them how to value what's said. You will teach them what's valuable about what's been preached. Right? You're not guilty in these categories. You're not making the pastor preach your personality or temperament. Do you understand? Some of you guys, I've said this before, some of y'all want to be hammered. Uh, don't make Jeff hammer you just before you, you know, hey, Jeff, if you'd hammer, dude, you got a hammer. If you want to reach me, you got a hammer. Okay, well, that person over there hates it when they get hammered. All right, well, if you're one of those people who hates it when they get hammered, don't freak out when he hammers. Just don't make the pastor preach to your temperament. You're not the only member of the audience. You got to let him preach to everybody. Not making the pastor preach to your personal tradition or your theological camp. Now, you've come from somewhere and you got roots from somewhere. And you got some loyalties to that. Just be careful that doesn't become your grid to interpret everything that's ever spoken from the pulpit. Not waiting for the pastor to be about one issue, your issue. The thing that for you matters the most, whether you're one of the social justice people of the universe or political advocacy. We need to talk more about how we get involved in the political process and get people elected. And we need to hear that from the pulpit more. Or... Uh, signs and wonders. I just believe the church needs to be more about signs and wonders and more about signs and wonders or apologetics. Jeff, come on, we need to preach a good series on apologetics, just defending, defending the faith, defending the, the veracity of the Bible or parenting and family and values that we hold. Listen, those might be some, you might have a priority list where some of those are at the top and some of those are at the bottom, but you can't wait for the pastor to preach to you off of your list. Right? Love the whole counsel of God. And give the pastor permission to bring that to you. Not asking the pastor to be politically correct. I just got to warn you, in days ahead, this is going to become interesting. Not advocating, listen carefully, a seeker sensitivity that causes the truths of the gospel 
and the reality of God to be foreign to the gathering of God's people. We're God's people. We gather here to represent him and to represent his gospel. If we create a setting, if you guys create a setting because your foot's a little bit too far into the world you're trying to reach, where it's odd for anybody to come in contact with that, that holy voltage kind of concept of God, that God's scary, that God ultimately is the one we're accountable to, is an element of the fierceness of God. Listen, that's who God is, an aspect of who God is. You shouldn't be creating an environment where you can't ever talk about those things, where God is an unwelcome visitor in his own gathering. Will it be awkward? Yeah. Yeah, there'll be moments where it's awkward. Is there needing to be some sensitivity? Yes, there should be. But you shouldn't be void of those things either. Let me get to these last three quickly. The giving and receiving of leaders who are focused on a mission that takes risks and requires faith. Paul stands and says, I'm I'm bound for Jerusalem, and all I know is the Holy Spirit says that bonds and afflictions await me. One chapter later, when he shares that with some other folks, they're going to turn around and say, well, then don't go, Paul. That doesn't make any sense. Why, Why are you going? Because God calls people to lead in ways that take faith, and they're risky, and you might actually suffer loss. Listen, it's not as though the Christians take risks that never will happen, you know, I can't sell you that. I can't sell you a Christian life that says, listen, if you really trust God, it'll look like the world will collapse on you, but it really won't. You know why I can't tell you that? Because the Bible doesn't say that. And secondly, because I've had to dig people out of the rubble. I know the reality is God may have you on a very course where the whole world falls in on your head. And he raised, resurrects you out of that circumstance. And leaders have to lead and compete people to walk into places that are unsafe. That you you don't feel secure, right? Did I write this out in your outline? Pastors and leaders are to be men on a Holy Spirit-inspired mission who lead you into that. They ask you to contribute. They call on you to sacrifice. They put you in insecure locations and activities and roles. They make you wonder whether we really ought to be doing this. (laughs) And I know, I know that already feels that way. I mean, Jeff and I talked this week, and you know, I've got moments where I, I'm informed by the Bible and by what the Holy Spirit has borne witness for us to do, and there's a whole other part of me that says, why are we doing this? <laughs> why are we sending all these people away? Because <laughs> uh, by faith, God's doing something. And we see that, and we take risks. And if, even if bonds and afflictions await you, and tears and struggles and difficulty awaits you. We're called on a mission that involves risk, and it requires faith. Number four, the giving and receiving of a call to an alert lifestyle. And Paul warned, he says, listen, I'm going to depart. And in this sense, you guys are going to depart. And fierce wolves are going to come in among you. And from even among yourselves, I know you're limited in number, so you might want to wonder, who is it? (laughs) Who's the wolf in here? No, I hope you don't feel that way about anybody. Even from among yourselves, the activity of the enemy will find its way into your setting. So look at this thought in your outline. I wrote a lot of this out so you can take it with you. The church is a setting of danger that requires alertness and protection 
and experiences conflict. While we aim at values like family, community, care, love, support, right? That's what we want to put on the banner. Nobody advertises their church. House of conflict. All are welcome. Sunday meetings, Saturday meetings. Uh, But if you've been in the church for a little while, it is that, isn't it? We say, we're like family around here. Well, when y'all go home, we're like family around here. You know what I'm talking about? You know, you got people that you can't believe they did that again. Why don't you ever, you can't put the toilet seat down. I mean, there's just, this is just the world in which we live with one another. This sense of how come you just will not be more thoughtful about me? Okay, welcome to the church. But you can't put that, you know, that's not on any of the stuff here. Christ, community, church, what do you do with the toilet seat? It's not even, not even discussed that that's reality though. There's going to be conflict amongst the family. We must not be caught off guard by the days of danger, divisiveness, and sharp disagreements. Sharp disagreements. Be alert. Protect yourselves. Watch over your own heart. Protect the work that God is doing in your own heart. Be a monitor for what's going on inside of you. Then protect one another. When you guys bump into the realities that you hear others are dealing with, disappointment or hurt feelings, don't, don't create an atmosphere for conflict to grow. Remember this verse. Remember this verse. Remember, fierce wolves will come in among you. Don't, don't put them on a leash and lead them to everybody. Look, here's the fierce wolf of, of divisiveness and complaining. Come here, come here. Here you go. Why don't you come on over here and eat this couple? Here you go. I'm going to have them over for dinner. That means a whole different thing when you do this kind of thing. Let's have them over for dinner, honey. We'll invite the wolves. Uh, Don't do this. Don't create an environment. If you see talk and conversation that's unhealthy and ungodly, be a part of being alert and protect the church. That ought to be true at Lakeview Christian Center. But you guys, you, you recognize what that kind of thing can do to a size church that you are. And you can't afford it. Protect your pastors and your leaders. They're facing their own set of struggles and challenges and difficulties. All right, let me close with this. Verse 32. Here is the hope of ascending church and its pastors. And I'm going to ask the elders if they would come up and, and join me. Verse 32. And now, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. And now, people you've walked with all these years, pastors who have loved your lives all these years, commend you to God and trust you to God and to the word of his grace. I wish I had time to expand on that, but what an amazing thing when God speaks of his grace in Romans and talks about that God's purpose and election would stand. He is speaking about the word of his grace, that God will get you firm to the end. 
Now, here's the one thing that I have spared myself of tears over and over and over again. Because, you know, this passage concludes with a bunch of guys getting together, kneeling down and praying, and snotty noses and Kleenexes flying everywhere. Because, and I take great comfort in the fact that here's a Bible purse that doesn't apply. You ever run across a Bible purse that doesn't apply? This one doesn't apply. He said these things. He knelt down and prayed with them. There was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again. I'm so grateful that doesn't apply. (laughs) Uh, You're 45 minutes away. We're going to see your faces uh, often, we hope and trust. There's a there's a rich group here. There's a lot of memories here. It's people who helped us start small groups and lead here, who helped lead small groups on the North Shore so that these folks could be cared for while we figured out how to plant a church on the North Shore. Thank you. Stu and Nancy, thank you for... What you mean to so many people in this church. Your covenant group is not a happy bunch of people right now. And only in faith are many of us here happy. What you have meant to us, what you've meant to me, I met with Stu and Nancy a few weeks ago. Nancy described something I wasn't aware of because I was sitting in the seat that she was watching of remembering when the Lord was transitioning us as a church and I was going from the youth pastor to the senior pastor. Thank you. And I don't know what that looked like. I was I was sitting in this seat. They were sitting in that one watching. So it was interesting to hear them describe the change. And you guys have had grace for a young man with good intentions to stand into a role of caring for people and feeling completely inadequate to do it and fighting for faith and caring for a church and you guys faithfully supported that as did you guys and many who have been here for so long sorry that you have to do that again (laughs) yeah Jeff's grateful. But I know there's so much grace. I've experienced so much grace. Jeff, you're going to experience a lot of grace. This is a quality group of people. But it's really hard. For the little teenage kid who was in my youth group, And 
his wife, who was one of my youth leaders, met in my home, prayed for kids. Bro, I'm very excited for what God has for you. I'm just, uh, I'm just hating the idea that our days together are changing. I'm grateful that unlike that dude named Matt, you're not moving so far away. I'm getting to where I don't like Februarys. You realize every February someone is leaving. <laughs> That's significant. My children will probably marry in February. Watch. <laughs> but this morning we want to we want to pray for you as a church. We want to pray for Jeff. In particular, we want to commend you to the work. That's what the passage says here. Commend you to God, to the word of his grace. The elders in Acts chapter 14, they were commended to this work. Today you, you've already assumed a place and a role in these folks' hearts. And there was something that was described by Paul to Timothy. And so we ordained Jeff years ago when he was a pastor here. So I didn't quite know what to call this, so I called it a day of commending to the office of Senior Pastor of Christ Community Church. Jeffrey Owen Earhart set apart this third day of February 2013. And this is why this matters, Jeff, because... There came a point for Timothy where Paul had to remind him of that day. This is what's on this plaque, and I hope you will read it often and remember 1 Timothy 4, verse 11. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity, until I come, and I'm only 45 minutes away, so I'll visit a lot. <laughs> Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Devote yourself to them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Bro, for the day when you're walking in faith and you're wondering, what the heck are we doing? Did we do the right thing? Those are normal days. Those are the days that are involved when you follow God. You don't get to escape them. But you do need to be reminded that there was a day when you stood with many witnesses who have loved you and have received much care and grace and help and elders who have walked with you for these many years to say, Jeff, we in full faith commend you to the work that God has set you apart for. So would you join me, Jeff? Would you come up and let us lay our hands on you? I don't claim that I fully understand 
what Paul was describing when he said, remember the gift that was given you when the elders laid their hands on you. I don't fully understand that passage, but to be obedient to it, I don't have to fully understand it. I just trust that God uniquely meets us in these moments. And so please pray with us as we lay our hands on